0: Hi everybody. This is Tim Martinez, Impact CEO. Um, here today with Dr. Sean Canone, who is Impact's uh, new Chief Medical Officer. Um, as we communicated to all of you towards the end of 2018, um, we were um, we had a search underway uh, for a new CMO who would bring a unique perspective uh, to our organization, a unique set of skills and experience, um, especially as a changing healthcare landscape and post-acute continues to evolve. So I'm very happy to be able to introduce him to all of you now. He's actually um, already been working with us for a little while and, and in the background, um, going through all of our process and really understanding um, Impact to its fullest. And so now uh, each of you get to hear from him directly and uh, get to know who he is and uh, why he's here and what he's excited about uh, as it relates to MPAC. So um, without further ado, uh, welcome, Dr. Canone, Sean. Um, I know you 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 don't prefer one or the other. Um, I have a hard time not calling you Dr. Canone, but we'll work on that. That's okay. It's good <laughs> to be here.
1: Like I tell my wife and my children, I didn't go to six years of evil medical school to be called Mister. So, <laughs> all right, good. We'll keep it with Doctor then for now. That's an Austin Powers line. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've already taken this podcast off the rails.
0: <laughs> That's all right. It's all right i'm sure I'm sure we'll do plenty of those throughout this thing. Um, so I think for everybody's benefit, it'd be helpful if they got to hear a little bit about your background and your experience um specifically as it relates to the post acute space. so what can you tell us yeah no i'm I'm really happy to be here uh
1: Hello to everyone who's listening, and uh actually yeah i'm I didn't go to six years of medical school. It makes it sound like it took a little too long for me to get through. I, <laughs> I finished up medical school uh, back in 1997 at Ohio University. I live in Northeast Ohio and have um, stayed in this area my entire career. I'm an osteopathic physician by trade. So Ohio University was a, was a, uh, a great choice for me. My father was an osteopathic physician, still is. And, and so that was kind of the natural course for me but I got involved in nursing home medicine back in 1998. I'd actually been spent quite a bit of time with my dad over the years, even as a young child, rounding with him in nursing homes back when they were called rest homes. And it it looked a lot different than it does today, obviously. So a lot has changed. But even since I started in 1998, things have just changed dramatically. So I started full-time in the long-term care, post-acute care space, the nursing home space back in 2001, partners with my father, actually, and I've, I've really surrounded myself with great mentors over the years, so I can't uh, take credit for any of the success that I've had. I think it's just been uh, riding on the coattails of, of those <laughs> who have gone before me, but uh, kind of right place, right time, I guess. I had originally wanted to be an ophthalmologist and had a residency spot set up in Columbus, Ohio. And then, uh, it's a long story, maybe for another podcast, but ended up, uh, following my father into geriatric medicine. Um, and so it's, it's been good. I early on just had a heavy clinical practice. We had 12 nursing homes that we medical directed. I had pretty heavy clinical load at, at three or four of them. The other eight or so or more administrative roles. So I got involved in medical directing right off the bat and had to really understand the regulatory side of nursing homes, uh, that the clinical side of caring for these patients was enough of a challenge. There's just not a real great training for that in medical school and, and even in residency. So I was learning a lot as I went. I figured out very quickly, didn't have a lot of support in the setting, didn't have a lot of specialists I could lean on. It was very difficult to get people out to see specialists. So I had to kind of become everything, a uh, psychiatrist and cardiologist and pulmonologist. And thankfully the acuity was a little lower then. Uh, and I didn't get overwhelmed right off the bat, but uh, understanding the regulatory side of nursing homes was really important to me. I understood the value to that. I was a, became a member of AMDA early on, was certified as a medical director, I think maybe back in like 2004. So I've been very active and, Kind of that whole aspect of of nursing home uh, administration, and then uh, very quickly, mainly riding on the coattails of of some of my mentors, got involved in things like geriatric formulary development. I helped to develop safer geriatric formularies for a bunch of long term care institutional pharmacies. Uh, I was working with Pharmerica America at the time and Neighbor Care and. Omnicare, who I worked with for many, many years, is still due on, on um, a lesser level now, but just helping to put together uh, geriatric prescribing guidelines. And I also got uh, pretty involved in um, medical legal case defense. We were having a medical medical legal crisis here in Northeast Ohio. This was a, kind of a, a real hotbed for nursing home litigation, believe it or not. Uh, Northeast Ohio is the third largest long-term care market in the country. So the lawyers kind of, kind of swooped in and and made things very difficult for for us in in this market. Kind of similar to what was happening in Florida at the time. So I was asked to to just help uh, nursing homes practitioners who were involved in lawsuits to be an expert and defend. And there just weren't many folks like me or my father who had build up any level of experience in this setting to to be helpful. So that really gave me another uh, look at things, which was that risk management uh, aspect, uh, which really revolves around dealing with patients and families, unrealistic expectations, and then seeing how prescribing fed into that uh, from my history of, of formulary development and seeing how sometimes we set ourselves up for problems when we don't prescribe safely in this population so that led to kind of a combining of those two things into really a medical education platform and I I just I guess again right place right time kind of got launched onto a national scene uh, educating in long-term care post-acute care settings across the country and uh, that eventually led to a relationship with a colleague who I had known before but he had risen to a, a a prominent role within Envision Healthcare and asked me to come on as a senior vice president and executive medical director of Evolution Health in Dallas, Texas back in 2014. And, and Evolution Health at that time was a mobile integrated population health company. So it was much different than what I had done in the past, but it was uh, very interesting to kind of see the entire continuum of the, of the healthcare system from hospital, transportation, ER, the whole 911 system, uh, obviously the post-acute care setting, the home care setting and trying to integrate and align all these various aspects uh, uh, of um, competency that we had at, at uh, Envision Healthcare into something meaningful to kind of throw out a population. And uh, it was sad to see that come to an end. It really wasn't by anyone's choice. It was, it was a merger that kind of led to the dissolution of the company but I had made relationships there and moved on to Trident USA. Um, and that's where I, I spent uh, the better part of a year. I think it was nine months or so as the chief medical officer at Trident who were primarily at that time kind of having me help out with their nurse practitioner staffing company, a very similar type of company to MPAC. Um, obviously Trident has the whole mobile us labs divisions. They do a lot of imaging and those types of things. And I had a little bit of visibility into those sides of the company but mainly helping with the, uh, the nurse practitioner staffing aspect and that actually led to this relationship with MPAC near the end of the run at Trident I had a, an opportunity to take a kind of a really rare role here in Ohio as the state medical director for Optum and um, I decided to do that it turned out to not be the thing I really uh, was hoping it would be. And, and the, the relationship that I had made with, with Tim at impact, which was very brief at the end of my, my role at Trident, um, we began to talk again and, and uh, it turned out there was a need here for something similar to what I had done at Trident. And here I am, it's been a long road, but i um, done a yeah. lot of things over the years. And it's, it's just been, uh, <laughs> I never know what's going to happen next.
0: <laughs> well, Interesting. You use that the word next. So you've seen obviously coming from um, you mentioned nursing homes are considered rest homes, right? Way back when um, gone through a lot of changes. Obviously, acuity has increased significantly. Um, Value based care is kind of, you know, at our doorstep, although nobody really knows what it means or what it looks like. So from your perspective, what do you what do you think is next? um you know for for healthcare in particular in this space for for some for a group like ours like mpac
1: well it's interesting because you're right i I don't think anybody knows exactly where things are heading but the move from from volume to value is definitely underway well underway and we're not going to go back to where we had been before it doesn't matter who's who's uh, got control of, of Congress or who's uh, in the White House at this point, there, there's no kind of going back to the previous system and I think that's for good reason. I think we all recognize that, um, that we really need to focus on what's most valuable to not only the, the payer and obviously we gotta make sure that we can do this in a fiscally responsible way, but we wanna do what's best for the patient and for populations as a whole. And so I think um, it's it's really been interesting to see that when I started my career, um, especially thinking about going into ophthalmology, which was a very sub-specialized area of medicine, highly respected and very difficult to get a residency. And then all of a sudden they moved back into family medicine and do geriatrics in a nursing home setting, which is was, uh, I think, uh, probably not the path that many of my colleagues chose to take and they probably overnight uh, just wrote me off as some crazy guy who's doing something that really is not very meaningful. But as the healthcare system has evolved, you've seen kind of this squeezing of, of cost out of different realms of healthcare and the, the final frontier in a lot of ways is the skilled nursing setting. And, you know, I think there are actually some very difficult days ahead for skilled nursing facility operators, we've seen massive um, shifts in in that landscape um, with um, a lot of um, eliminating of of properties, downsizing, mergers. And I think everyone's a little bit nervous about what the future holds, but it is kind of this area that um, from both sides, kind of the payer side, the health system side, they look at this post-acute care setting and they realize we've got a problem there because a lot of the cost that comes out of um, the healthcare system as a whole is coming from this space. And it's mainly revolving around aspects of, of skilled nursing facility length of stay and re-hospitalization risk. And, you know, that we kind of live in a 30-day world right now with as far as rehospitalization risk goes but a lot of the value-based programs whether it's uh, bundled payment programs or the the acos are are looking now at at longer stretches 90 days uh, and even more uh, on you know trying to keep people well and out of these high-cost settings so i think it's uh it really puts us in a position right now where or maybe in the right place at the right time, if you could figure out how to improve the level of care for patients in this setting, and if you can figure out better ways for these at-risk entities to, to, to keep their patients well, to get them to the lowest cost site of care in a safe and responsible manner, to give more options to patients and families who typically don't want to be in nursing homes as it is then I think those are are the the types of of strategies and companies who are going to succeed going forward. So it's really about this population level approach, creating value. Um, And, uh, but I I think there are some difficult times
0: ahead. Yeah. I think those difficult times that are coming for for the operators in particular are setting up um, opportunities for somebody like, like MPAC as, as, you know, patient driven payment model, uh, comes down the pipeline. They're really not only would they like, but they need additional support and they need additional help to care for these higher acuity patients. And I think that's exactly where, where MPAC can play a meaningful role, not just from an internal medicine side anymore, uh, but also from a mental health perspective, um, and you know, maybe down the road, even from a behavioral health perspective. And so that's the reason we've been building out kind of the suite of services that we have uh, to really be that differentiating factor for these operators to have that support and that partner to go along, you know, this bumpy road that they're about to embark on with somebody who can help them and who can help them ultimately provide the best level of care. So... um, I know I just kind of laid out a bunch of different things, but what, about, what is it about MPAC as we spoke and as we got to know each other that um, made you say, yeah, this is, this is a group I'd like to be involved with and uh, you know, take a meaningful uh, role with you know, at your point in yeah. your career, at our point in our evolution? Yeah, no, I think,
1: I think some of it right off the bat relates to the last question. So you mentioned PDPM. Which is really going to be a massive shift for skilled nursing facilities here later this year as their payment model gets flipped upside down. And it's going to encourage, actually incentivize facilities to take a higher acuity patient, but it's also going to incentivize them to move them out quicker. And so, you know, you can kind of see the, the strategy behind that, which is all about, um, you know, reducing cost, getting people out of the hospital setting to the, the sniff setting, getting them out of the sniff setting to the home setting. And uh, rather than kind of cherry picking some lower acuities where they can kind of milk the system on a therapy type um, payment system, it really is going to help to, to, to bring uh, funds to facilities who are going to take higher risk patients. So they're going to need a much higher level of clinical care and they're going to need a more robust 24-7 365 level of care Uh, you can't there are no excuses now for what happens after hours or weekends or holidays you've got to have meaningful uh, clinical presence in the facility that extends then toward the home whether that's you providing that or you creating uh, uh, the right types of relationships to do that in the post-acute space creating return to sniff strategies and I think that's what excites me about impact is you know i I've got a list of things in my mind about what um, I like about impact. The first, first thing, first and foremost, is just the people. So I, I, I tell people often when I was asked to take the role at Evolution Health, I really didn't have any desire to leave the company I had built. And I was doing well and didn't want to really uh, complicate my life. But when I walked into the offices in Dallas, I told them, you know, it's the first place I've been in a long time where anybody is smiling, where there's any optimism about what is going on within the company and kind of where we fit in the healthcare climate. And I sense the same type of thing at MPAC. I mean, I, if, if I didn't, I wouldn't be here today. So I, I sense, uh, you know, great leadership, um, good optimism, and just the, the willingness to take risk and be progressive and to do it wisely to kind of keep moving forward and, and um, you know, never rest kind of where you are today. So, you know, along with that, I think just I, the organization itself. Um, and when I say that, yeah, the company, but literally the organization, I, I think I'm very impressed by the, uh, the detail that's been kind of built out at every level the ability to really measure accurately what's going on, to be able to make business decisions and move uh, in, in smart ways. I think the model that's been created is really good because for me, it's at a, it's more at a population level and that's the way my mind works now. I think one of the things that's been frustrating about nurse practitioner practices that I've, I've encountered in the past in this space is that, you know, they'll have 15 people in a building. They've got, you know, one doc they collaborate with and they can't really get their foot in the door elsewhere. And so they're there, you know, one day a week or two days a week or a couple half days. And, and you really can't get into the culture of the building and I think have a meaningful presence at a population level with that kind of a strategy. And it, I don't know that it really impacts the right levers to kind of keep up with the way healthcare is shifting. I think um, the innovation is really great at Impact. I have not seen some of the things that have been built out here in, in my past experiences. So I think it's very um, ingenious the way they've kind of connected in, even the licensed clinical social worker aspects of what's going on, the the partnerships they've created with uh, with uh, Third Eye and telehealth, uh, the way you're utilizing the uh, annual wellness business. It, visits and uh, advanced care planning I think is very good. There's uh, obviously a massive, massive um, push for good advanced illness management within all new systems of healthcare right now. So I think that aligns us well with moving toward uh, creating a a more robust advanced illness management program that'll be very attractive to payers. And then uh, I would say the other thing is that uh, MPAC is, does not seem to be wanting to be all things to all people, which is really important. I, I think I've been involved in organizations in the past where they've said yes to everything, trying to get whatever business they could. And it ends up biting in the long run because you just, you overextend yourself. You don't have a chance to really build the model well and scale it correctly. And so I think that's, that's a very uh, smart thing as well.
0: Right. Thank you. Um, You know, we covered a lot of different topics. Um, I think maybe at this point, I'd like to ask you um, maybe just to give a message to everybody that's listening, you know, um, about um, just kind of maybe a parting shot or what you're looking forward to to getting your hands dirty with. Um, That's already started, but uh, maybe a new program development. You know, you mentioned advanced disease management, anything else, or just kind of a parting message to everybody Um, and then we'll, we'll sign off and, um, wrap up.
1: Yeah. no, I think there's definitely more to come here. I've had a chance over the past six weeks to just look under the hood and kick the tires a little bit and, um, get to know people, um, understand the mission a little bit better. And, and like I said, everything I've seen is just very promising that way. I think, um, I think my passion, it really is education I've been uh, very happy to be working with the whole team, with Kristen, especially thinking about how do we better support um, our, our clinicians in the field. I, I still passionately believe that um, the disease state management, that uh, appropriate prescribing is, is just a, a huge part of how you improve clinical outcomes in this setting, which, which is really the goal, right? It's about taking good care of patients, creating a better experience for them. Um, it, it's about, you know, that's how you reduce rehospitalizations and that's how you you shorten length of stay and and provide a better quality of life. It's just through managing this myriad of, of conditions that they have and, and, and understanding just the complexities of all the prescribing that goes on. So I, I still feel like there's a lot that we can do there. These, these clinical models that um, you've already built, there are, are definitely... I think opportunities to tweak and to enhance and, and to figure out how to scale them. There may be even things that we create internally that we can use to, to sell to outside um, groups that, that maybe haven't gotten as far along as MPAC, MPAC has got. And um, so there might be some opportunities for additional revenue streams from some of the things that are created, which is exciting. But I think um, in general, if I could give you just a parting message, I thought about this a little bit because Tim said, hey, I want you to just give a just a brief message to everyone, you know, parting shot type of thing. And here's what popped into my head immediately. And I thought, I'm just going to go with it. So it, it, it comes down to the word good. So I've got uh, three, three little phrases here that hopefully will stick in your head. The first is that I think you're in good hands. I really do. I'm impressed with the leadership of the company. I'm impressed with the structuring of the company that I think that it's been built the right way because when you're dealing with very disseminated workforce and a a decentralized type virtual company, if you will, it's real easy to get lost and feel like you're an island and it's difficult to maintain culture and quality. And I think that the way the company has been constructed and, and the support that's there is just fabulous. I I really do. So I don't think you're going to find that in too many other places. I haven't encountered it in this type of a business before. Uh, The second good, I guess that one kind of sounded like an Allstate commercial there, you're in good hands. But uh, (laughs) the second one, it's it's good to be a part of the team. I'm, you know, a fairly limited role right now. I'm giving, uh, trying to give as much time as I can on a week to week basis. And we're still kind of dialing that up and down and trying to figure out what the right amount is and I still have some other interests that I have professionally that I'm working on here locally in Northeast Ohio but um, I'm really excited to be a part of this team I want to be a good teammate I want to be a, a help to impact and uh, really kind of open uh, to whatever possibilities lie ahead so I'm excited about that and the last one is just I think this is one I've had to tell myself over the years when you're wondering, did I pick the right field? Am I doing something that's worthwhile? And all of us wanna be a part of something you know, that's bigger than ourselves. We wanna be a part of something that's meaningful. We invest a lot of our time and energy and lives into doing this and you just wanna know that it's, it's something worthwhile. So I, uh, I am a, a man of faith and um, there's a, a very interesting story in, in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, in a, a book called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a really interesting guy who uh, I've heard many even um, non-church type folks use him as an example of leadership. I'd encourage you to read his story. It's a fantastic, fantastic story of what it looks like to be a good leader and to have vision. But there's a, a part of the story about halfway through where he has gone back to Jerusalem It's amazing how he gets there and he's rebuilding the wall. That's kind of his thing and kind of reestablishing culture and the city of Jerusalem and, and all these things. And, but the wall is the big thing. And, and, you know, he's, he's a, a servant leader. He's a guy who gets his hands dirty. He's the one out there working on the wall with them and his enemies come and they see the the wall going up and they know they're not going to be able to kind of, kind of push these, these people around, if they create this, this entity again, they reestablish their city that's not going to be a, a good for the surrounding uh, enemies of, of the Israelite people. So these enemies come, and they've got great enemy names, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, just these, these kind of like good uh, bad guy names. But they come and they, they say, hey, come and let us meet together in the plain of Ono. So they basically just come and, it sounds innocent enough, hey, let's let's have a meeting. Why don't you come and, like, come down to our place. We'll kind of sit and chat a little bit and talk. But it says that Nehemiah knew that they intended to do him harm. And I think they meant physical harm. They wanted to get him away and kind of in an isolated place where they could actually do physical harm to him. But here's his response to them. He says, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And four times they sent him people saying, come down from your work, come away from your work. The moral of the story really is that, um, you know, I, I think we get pulled a million different directions. We wonder if what we're doing is really significant. We get enticed by the grass is greener on the other side come down and take a look at what we're doing over here. Sometimes I think people mean us well, but sometimes they're just trying to, uh, to build their own empire at our expense. And um, I, my encouragement to you would be that you're doing a good work. That's my last good, that uh, know that the work that you do is valuable. Caring for uh, those who have this amount of, of need clinically, psychosocially, uh, many of them are very elderly, they're the forgotten of our society in a lot of ways. And, you know, I don't want to focus completely on the skilled short-term patient. That's a whole other kind of realm that we practice in. But these long-term populations that reside in these places, like I said, none of them, none of them planned 20, 30 years ago to spend their, their golden years in a nursing home. No matter how nice the decor is, most of them didn't want to be there. Most of their families told them, we'll never put you there and they're there and they've been forgotten. Many of them are widows. It's a huge female population. Many of them are orphans. They've lost uh, their parents, obviously, because many of them are elderly, but they don't have many people. I remember my grandmother was in a nursing home. I mean, all of her brothers and sisters were gone. Her parents are gone. All of her friends are gone. It's like very lonely folks. So know that the work you do is very meaningful. Know that uh, it is a good work, and uh, and and keep it up. I, I encourage you just to to continue with it and to to know that it's valuable.
0: Excellent, very very good message. Appreciate that. Um, well, I know I've told you this um, privately, but I'm very excited about um, the fact that you agreed to join us. Um, what lies ahead for us? I'm very excited to getting you more and more involved with the team. Um, I know you know everybody I've spoken to that. That uh, knows about you joining us are equally, if not more, excited. Especially from a clinical perspective, um, something I know very little about. Um, so we've we've hungered and needed this this clinical leadership, um, and I'm very excited for what's to come. So um, I hope um, everybody else is as well. And I think this would will likely be the first of hopefully many podcasts. Um, hopefully, some in the future will be you interviewing some of your colleagues who have a unique perspective on different aspects of medicine or healthcare, um, just to keep everybody kind of up to speed and up to date on what's, what's going on and hopefully provide some value um, during the morning drive or the afternoon drive home. Um, So really appreciate you taking the time and um, we'll look forward to more of these. Glad to be here, Tim. Thank you. Excellent.